Our Regenerate 2.0 campaign is an opportunity for members of FBC Athens to support the revisioning of the physical facilities of First Baptist Athens. With a church that is 191 years old and celebrating its 100th year in this physical sanctuary at 355 Pulaski Street, this is not the first campaign of this type and most certainly will not be the last. Today's podcast provides us with some insight from persons who are known as members of the cradle roll, those who were born into FBC and are still here today. We are asking them to share some of their thoughts on persons and events at First Baptist Athens that were influential in their faith life journey, as well as why they support the 2.0 Regenerate campaign. Today, I'm talking with John Jenkins Barrow. And John, um, let's start off with what year were you born into this church? I was born in 1955 on October 31st, Halloween. And I came into this world with a twin sister, uh, my first roommate, whom I've known uh, longer than she's been alive. (laughs) And I I was admitted into the church under wonderful circumstances. Uh, My grandmother, uh, Ruth Jenkins, was taking a trip to Europe to visit her daughter, my Aunt Barbara. Uh, That was a big deal in in 1965. Uh, And None of the, all of the children have been raised in the church, but none of us have been baptized yet. A little bit kind of like life with father, you know. You kind of just went along without doing it until you, st- until you, until you stopped and thought about it. But as Granny Jenkins was taken off for Europe, uh, it was decided in our family that all the children, all five of us, from me and church bringing up the rear, Phyllis, Jimmy, and Ruth, would all uh, join the church formally and, and ask for admission to the church and for baptism. And we walked down the aisle on Sunday morning, March 28, 1965, and were baptized by Howard Giddens that very same evening. That very so you joined in the morning joined and the, had the baptism in the evening. That's right. So we had we had Sunday night service. Correct. And they didn't waste any time getting somebody you know uh, you know formally admitted. So we, we we moved on it pretty quick. We did that for Granny as a going away present, and it was also a present for us because it meant uh, it, it was an outward as the Episcopalians would say it was an outward and physical manifestation of an inward spiritual reality. We were members of the church family, but this was just a way of expressing it. But it was unusual to see, um, you know, a 16-year-old and a, and a couple of nine-year-olds in, in the mix. Um, church and I were the youngest. I remember the date uh, because I had to look it up, mm-hmm. not because I can remember uh, directly, but I did have to look it up, and I realized it was three weeks after Bloody Sunday, okay. the day when my former colleague John Lewis walked across the Evan Pettus Bridge and got mugged by the state troopers on on May 7, just three weeks after that, that we walked down the aisle. And so I've related that to him, that uh, that's sort of a, a, a benchmark uh, in, in my life and, and in his our, our experience together. So um, for people that are familiar with our physical sanctuary today, uh, when you got baptized, where was the baptismal pool? Well, it was in a, uh, a marble-lined, large, rather, tub that was somewhat elevated above the floor. It was, uh, it was set in the... Um, in, in, the, in the level on which the pulpit was located and the choir behind it. And it was to the left of the pastor as he faced the congregation. Uh, and they had a planking that would be installed in that for uh, the church choir members to arrange themselves across the entire uh, front of the church when uh, baptisms weren't going on. But at night, on, on Sunday night baptisms, they take those planks up, fill it up, and it was, it was right there. So it was a little bit elevated above uh, eye level for folks... Uh, out in the pews, but it wasn't up in the air. 
uh, like it is like it is now and like it is in a lo- lots of places. It was uh, a little bit more like kind of going down into down to the creek a little bit more uh, that level. You mentioned your grandmother. So is there anything specifically you'd like for us to know about uh, in terms of items or things that just impre- were an impression you had about her influence on you in your in faith in addition to the baptismal uh, stories? Well, I think everybody relates to a, a, a deeply spiritual family member for much the same reason because of your proximity to those people. So I think it's very common for someone to say, my grandmother or my father or my mother had the greatest impact on me. But the thing about my grandmother Jenkins was she, she not only had that impact on me, she had that impact on a lot of people. She was a remarkable theologian in her own right. She started the first, I won't say alternative, uh, Sunday school uh, class for women at this church. When she came to this church in the 1920s, there was just one Sunday school class for the women. It was like the the women's department. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where they met. It may have been in the sanctuary like some churches still do today where they had Sunday school. But it was everybody went to the same class. And it was highly institutional. It was sort of like a... it's sort of like a microcosm of the church experience as a whole. Granny Jenkins had the vision for a, a class of smaller people, self-selected, who want to get deep into the bones on theological issues. They would read contemporary theologians. They would argue, uh, discuss issues. Uh, she was a genuine intellectual, and she led that effort in her class. And the thing about her is that she also led other people to the church. Um, two of the people that had a huge impact on me when I was coming on as a teenager would be Julian Cave and Bill Hale. And both of these men, very rigorous intellects, very uh, scholarly in their approach toward things, uh, but they were in awe of my grandmother, who was their equal in intellect, but their senior by an entire generation. And they looked up to her and admired her very much. And there was a story that Bill related to me that kind of summed this up, the impact she had on, on people outside of the family. In 1972, there was a there was a, a rage was going through the the high schoolers in Athens about uh, the end times. You know, the late great planet Earth had come out, and there was a lot of a lot of a lot of talk from a rival church in in town. We'll go uh, not nameless but unnamed, uh, yeah. where they were talking a lot about these you know the the end is near kind of thing, and a lot of the high school kids were kind of worked up about it, and it kind of got through the high school into this church, where that's not the sort of thing that we focused on a lot in in, in this church, and. Uh, Bill Hale was leading the high school department, and he had to deal with this issue. So he had he has several units of study on this subject where he wrestled with this issue with these kids. And uh, he finally decided to bring the young, hip preacher we'd had, a deeply scholarly fellow himself, Julian Cave, uh, that my grandmother recruited. She was on the pulpit committee that brought him to this church. Uh, so she was devoted to him, but he was devoted to her. And Bill Hale decided that Julian ought to come to this wrap-up session where they could rap with the students and bring, and bring this whole subject to it to a close. And after they'd agreed to do it, Julian called up and said, I think it'd be a good idea if we brought Miss Ruth into this. Now, <laughs> this is a lady who's 80 years old, 81 years old. And they, these two men... In, in their majority, both thought it would be a good idea for her to come and speak to the, at least listen and be a part of this discussion while these kids were trying to wrestle with all these issues that, um, uh, that, that Bill and Julian had tried to deal with. And at the end of this thing, uh, when Bill and Julian had done most of the talking, my granny Jenkins was sitting in the middle while this is going on, little 81-year-old lady, and uh, at, the, at the end, Julian asked Miss Ruth if she had anything she wanted to add, and she leaned forward. 
dramatic pause and raised her hand in an almost pontifical kind of manner. She said, dear young people, God's man, the prophet Micah, has given us the entire central core of human concerns. And he said, oh man, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with your God? And after a long pause, holding that hand up there, Bill looks at the hand, he sees Julian. They both focused on her. They both, they both transfixed by her. She says, and if you will strive to live your life in this way, you will not have any time for this kind of theological <laughs> drivel. <laughs> that, <laughs> brought, brought the house down, brought it, put it all in perspective. Got it, it, it helped these kids. It helped these two men uh, who, who just adored her. So I have the same feeling about my grandmother that I'm sure everybody else does about the spiritual role they had in her life. But I had the great good fortune of watching her have this kind of impact throughout this entire church. It's a, it was a, a great gift. That is just amazing, amazing. Um, and so with this uh, foundation of your grandmother, who, yes, as we would all say, our grandparents probably did have a very significant influence in our lives, but definitely she also had an influence on others' lives as well. Um, what in our faithful past would you say, um, as particular maybe experience or event, uh, that you would share with us, and then how uh, can this or the experiences that you've had in the past here inspire all of us to be excited about our future here? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, this, like all mainstream churches, is much more uh, diverse in its membership than a lot of these uh, mega churches, which are, despite what you may think, that on their size, they're very, you know, fixed and rigid, and they may have very different-looking people, but their religion's all very much the same. Mainstream churches tend to, at least back in the 60s and 50s, be a lot more diverse. Politically, you Democrats would go to church with Republicans. Economically speaking, there'd be people at all places on the social ladder interacting with each other. Uh, this church had a history during the civil rights era, among other issues, of you know not being way out there, it, it wasn't something that we, that we were burning down. But this church took responsible positions and took a leadership role at a time when most mainstream churches didn't. Um, we had uh, prominent speakers coming in uh, to, to, to our church who were not welcome in other pulpits. Uh, Dr. Giddens, when asked, you know, what are we going to do if a black person wants to come to this church? He's going to say, well, if we can't be a Christian, we might as well just fold up shop and, get in, you know, and move on. I mean, we had people who were taking a a positive, proactive leadership role. And our church in its history since then has continued in that way, where whether it's standing up for the right of women to participate equally in the governance of the church or recognizing the diversity in other people's relationships with each other and, and, and their love toward each other, uh, this church has been more open uh, than, um, than the typical First Baptist Church might be. And I take great uh, consolation from that and inspiration. I see us doing that into the future. Another thing you ask about uh, the Regenerate campaign, that's another thing that I take confidence in from what we've done in the past because right around the time when Julian Cave came here, we raised a whole bunch of money, completely changed the sanctuary. We, bought, we bit off an awful lot, but we didn't bite off more than we could chew. We, we incurred that debt. We made that commitment to ourselves and to our, and to our experience, and we paid it off, and we've done it repeatedly since then, and we're doing it now. And so both from in terms of our churches moving with the times and being uh, you know, reflective of the positive changes going on in, 
the church. I think of Ralph Johnson sitting in the choir for 30 years. Uh, I, I just, just wonderful things that, that, that we've done as a, as a beacon to the community. What we're doing now with this, with this sanctuary, much more than they did in my granny's day, we're using this as a social services center for people who, can't, who need a little Matthew 25 kind of love. And that's the, that I've seen us incur that kind of debt in the past for that kind of mission and pay it off repeatedly. And if you get to be 65 you'll, and stay along, around one place long enough, you will see that kind of thing happening if, it, if it's a part of your church's history. It is a part of our church's history, which is why Angel and I are so pleased to continue to support of the work in what, whatever ways we can. Mm-hmm. And I think you've done a wonderful job of helping share with us um, not only experiences from the past, but ways that we can grow into the future and make those steps of faith. Um, I, I've likened it in some of my other conversations. We didn't always know where we were going when we made some of those decisions, but we knew we were being guided by God. And as we go through this next uh, cycle, we may not know exactly where we will end up, but as long as we are focused with God with us and we're focused looking in that direction, then we will continue in that. And I think that's a, a wonderful uh, legacy we have and a wonderful future that we also have and appreciate your sharing those with us. As, as my friend John Lewis would say, it ain't so important to know where you are as to know where you're headed. That's correct. That's correct. Thank you so much, John. Thank you.